It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. So, for those of you that have been following uh, Daily Thunder, you would know that I've been Uh, and I'm going to use the word stuck, but in the most positive sense, stuck in a very long series on World War II. And I would actually be happy if I got stuck in this series for years to come. I I don't think it'll be that, but I have delighted in this uh, study. World War II, to me, I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm intrigued with history to start with. But as I've been studying it with the lens of a spiritual mind, and I've been looking at it to understand spiritual battle, with more clarity, to understand the spiritual life and the conflict that we are engaged in, it has been profound. And so I've been enjoying sharing that profundity uh, with all of you. This one is called The Atlantic Hunting Grounds. It's an intriguing title, and I get excited about it. Uh, But uh, I'm going to sort of lead you into this. It's it's an unusual parallel that I'm going to be creating, but it's something that God has personally been training my soul in. And so oftentimes as a pastor, as a leader, when people ask me, how do I come up with my themes or my subjects? It's not because I map them out in a calendar and I say, this is what the body of Christ needs to know every year. And this is the diet that they must have. They need a little vitamin C, a little vitamin E, a little of this, a little fiber in their diet. In other words, I'm not thinking through it always in that sense. It's funny because when I approach discipleship, that's how I approach it. I say, all right, here's the foundation stones you need. But when it comes to my preaching on Sundays, I'm oftentimes going to be doing what God is moving in me on. So this is the theme that he is convicting me on. He is training me on. This is a definite theme that God is dealing with me on. And so the Atlantic hunting grounds, Churchill, Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Great Britain, Uh, as we are in this story right around 1941. I shouldn't say right around. We're December 17th, 1941, which is actually my birthday, by the way. And we are uh, on the Atlantic Ocean in a ship. Okay, and Churchill is, and I'm going to give you the background to this, but he has an agenda. He needs to get from the British Isles across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States. Now, right now in 2000. Uh, 20, that doesn't sound that hard, okay? I mean, it's a little odd to go on a ship across the Atlantic, but hey, you know, you could do that. And it's not, not, we're not going to be thinking, oh, I bet you won't make it. Oh, that will be hard. I bet you'll get sunk. Uh, Yeah, there's a U-boat that's going to get you. In other words, we don't consider those things. But in 1941, in the middle of World War II, this is a hazardous adventure. The same with us as Christians. If I were to place your agenda as a Christian, it's like, hey, we need to get from here to the heavenly heights. We need to get from here to the throne room of grace. It doesn't sound that hard on paper just when you write it down. It's like, oh, sure, that's where I'm headed. Sure, I'm going to go up the mountain of the Lord. However, no one can climb that mountain. It is an unapproachable mountain. And as a result, unless we have someone climbing it for us, we can't make it. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And of course, that's the gospel. So what we have here is an impossible mission. What hit, what Hitler, I need to make sure I separate out my characters, what Churchill is doing in this is quite an amazing feat. He is going across the Atlantic. He feels it's imperative that he spend time with Franklin Roosevelt and they schedule out the upcoming three years, which they didn't know how long it was going to be, but that's what it's going to turn out to be, of the war. They need to work together as allies to see this come together. 
So how difficult can that be? To cross the Atlantic Ocean? I mean, this isn't that big of a deal. Oh, it's a huge deal. So Winston Churchill says, many serious reasons required my presence in London at this moment, when so much was molten. I never had any doubt that a complete understanding between Britain and the United States outweighed all else, and that I must go to Washington at once. There were a thousand reasons why he should stay, and yet it was imperative that he got face to face with Roosevelt. So this is Winston Churchill. It was hoped to make the passage at an average of 20 knots in seven days. That's the speed of a ship moving. It's sort of like miles per hour. Instead, it's knots. Having regard to zigzags and detours to avoid the plotted U-boats. You guys know what a U-boat is. That's a submarine. It's just the, it's like underwater boat, U-boat. And so they have these underwater boats. They actually sort of look like boats. If you just see a, 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 a submarine above the water from World War II, they actually look like boats, but they're made to go underwater. And these guys are dangerous. And so they would form in packs and the Germans called them wolf packs and they would hunt these ships. And so to cross the Atlantic was hazardous uh, to do. And so what they wanted to do is destroy the supply chain. America was supplying Great Britain with a lot of its uh, military armament, food, and supplies. And so these U-boats would try and take out the ships. So this is hazardous territory. And guess where Churchill and some of his main leaders in the war cabinet need to go right through? They need to cross this territory of wolf packs. So the Admiralty turned us down the Irish Channel into the Bay of Biscay. The weather was disagreeable. There was a heavy gale and a rough sea. The sky was covered with patchy clouds. We had to cross the out-and-home U-boat stream from the western French ports to their Atlantic hunting grounds. Uh, did you guys get my title to this one? The Atlantic hunting grounds? See, there it is. Yeah, I didn't even make it up. This is, uh, this is Churchill's way of phrasing it. These are the Atlantic hunting grounds. There were so many of them about that our captain was ordered by the Admiralty not to leave our flotilla behind us. So that flotilla is going to be a large grouping of ships that is going to protect uh, a singular ship in this situation. But the flotilla could not make more than six knots. Remember, they were going to travel at 20 knots. And so this is the flotilla moves uh, very slow. But for the safety of it, they're going to need to take the flotilla. This is going to extend the trip out quite a bit. So it could not make more than six knots in the heavy seas. And we paddled along at this pace round the south of Ireland for 48 hours. We passed within 400 miles of Brest. And I could not help remembering how the Prince of Wales and the Repulse, those are two ships that I've actually brought up multiple times. My last message, I don't remember when it was, I gave a message specifically called the sinking of the prince. And it says, we passed within 400 miles of Brest, and I could not help remembering how the Prince of Wales and the Repulse had been destroyed by the shore-based torpedo aircraft attack the week before. And that was by the Japanese. Huge moment in history. The clouds had prevented all but an occasional plane of our air escort from joining us. But when I went on the bridge, I saw a lot of unwelcome blue sky appearing. Because blue sky is going to do one of two things. It is going to open up for their, um, their airplanes to cover them, but also for the Luftwaffe, which is the military air force of the Germans, to see them. So, as a result, blue sky isn't always welcome in such a journey. <clears throat> Focus amidst the Atlantic hunting grounds. So, I'm going to get in Churchill's shoes here. And this is what I've been doing as a leader when I read Churchill. It's like, okay, I'm not in charge of a nation. I'm not in charge of the allies and the allied forces in World War II and 
praise God, I'm not. This is such incredible weight upon his shoulders, but I have responsibilities, as do you. Some of us, our responsibility is our thought life, and it's our body, and that's overwhelming us. But then as we grow up and mature, we expand our territory of influence and our territory of leadership. And it's important that we learn what Churchill is going to learn in and through this. And that's why I'm bringing this up. For me and my soul, I have so many U-boats and storms outside my little ship. And they are constantly sort of grabbing my attention and desiring me to stare overboard and look for the nearest U-boat. And yet, there's something that Churchill needs to do in this time. He's going to have eight days across the Atlantic Ocean. And he, he has a lot of weight on his shoulders. If you've ever gone through a season where you get dizzy because of how many things are hitting you, that's where Churchill's been. Since, uh, since he first took the role of prime minister a year and a half before this, his world has been relentless. And so as a result, and he has a theater. The Japanese theater just opened up again. And it just opened up for the first time. Um, December 7th, remember this is like December 17th right here that we're, we're writing this. Ten days earlier, Pearl Harbor was bombed. The Japanese have now entered the war and they have sunk uh, all the ships. They've taken over territory in the Pacific and now they rule the Pacific. This is creating havoc for the, for the Allies. They have no idea how to even put a salve on this problem. So the Allies have issues and Churchill is heading to meet Roosevelt, and he needs to be clear-minded. You see, he has so many thoughts darting through his head. He has anxieties, he has concerns, but he can't see straight. He can't see the whole thing all at once. Have you ever had that feeling where you know that you need to be thinking straight because you need to make good, solid decisions right now, but you have a lot of noise in your life? You're in the Atlantic hunting grounds. You see, Right now is the time where you need to focus and you need to get a clear understanding of what God is saying. And this is, this is a very, very significant thing for me. I mean, we've had to cancel our advanced training this spring. We had to cancel our practicum training this spring. I've had six speaking events cancel. And we just, and I'm not using the term cancel, for our summer, we're rerouting all of our students into different semesters. You notice how I changed the phraseology on that? And yet, that's a big blow to our world. It's like the Japanese just entered World War II. Okay, we already had challenges, and now the Japanese just bombed Pearl Harbor. So it's like, all right. And I need to cross the Atlantic in a ship, and I have U-boats all over the place. Okay, so that's why I'm saying I identify with Churchill. Remember, my middle name's Winston, guys. Do I need to make that clear again? So uh, uh, I had another guy uh, text me this week. He says, well, my middle name's Franklin. So we have a bond, Franklin and Winston. That's Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. I'm going out to meet Franklin right now. So focus amidst the Atlantic hunting grounds. It's a hard time to focus. It's a hard time to get your mind square and straight when you have U-boats that are hunting you. So there's an enemy lying in wait. I have a really cool picture for all of you that are live and, or those of you that are streaming, and it's a picture of some of the German U-boats. We even have a Nazi flag up there just to sort of create the pending crisis and doom that lingers over there. You see, we have an enemy, and most of us don't like to ponder the fact that there's an enemy. Actually, knowing that there's an enemy really helps, though, because it helps explain the drama in your life. When you think that it's just a whole bunch of your own mistakes, which is what the devil is always doing. It's like, look, you blew it. Look, this is all because of you. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Now, I recognize that I can make some really bad choices in life. Yeah. And I can see that I can really make blunders, and yes, and I can create hazards for my life. But it also is important to recognize I have an enemy who wants to destroy me. And so he is literally doing whatever he can 24-7 to create hindrance and blockages to my forward movement. That actually helps bring sanity to the whole process of understanding the world we live in. So there's two ingredients, two key ingredients to gaining mental clarity in the Atlantic. Churchill needs mental clarity. He is going to sit down with Roosevelt. And remember, Roosevelt is relatively new to the war. Now, he's been following the war, but the United States is not in the war until December 7th. December 8th, Franklin Roosevelt is going to declare a state of war. And so they're going to enter into it on December 8th. That's nine days earlier. Okay, so America is new to the war. Great Britain has been in there the whole time. So who's supposed to be the expert in this situation? Winston Churchill. He's coming in, but his world is collapsing around him. I mean, the, with the, the sinking of the Prince of Wales and the repulse over in the Pacific by the Japanese, I mean, this is like soul shock to Winston Churchill. And he's just trying to find his bearings. He's trying to get his feet settled, but he needs to come into America and he needs to show confidence. He needs to show strength to those, to the Americans, and he needs to be able to speak. He's going to speak before Congress. He's going to speak before Parliament up in Canada. He needs to sound intelligent. And have you ever felt one of those moments like, oh, God, I'm not the guy for this job? I have a hunch this is exactly what Winston Churchill's feeling right now. So two key ingredients. Ingredient number one, focus. Okay, I'm going to go into this today. It's actually one of the key things I want to bring out. And ingredient number two, perseverance. Now, I'm going to combine those. Most of us have heard of focus, and so we know what that means, mental focus. It's like, hey, fix your gaze on one thing, and keep it there. Have you ever noticed that this culture has a lot of distractions? There's a lot of noise. There's dings, bleeps, bings, uh, blings. Did I say, I don't know what word I just said, but it was a mixture between bling and ding, I, I think. There's a lot of noises and buzzes and bleeps. There's a lot of things when you're trying to study the word of God that you'll get an email or you get a phone call or something else will happen in this world that distracts us and reroutes our thinking. What God trains his children to do is to fix our gaze and to stay tuned. It doesn't matter what bombs are going off around us. That's tricky, especially when we haven't been trained for that. And so that's where perseverance comes in, because perseverance is going to continue in that position of focus even when the bombs are going off. When you mix these two together, you get mental doggedness. Focus plus perseverance equals a mental doggedness. And this is something that I want us to consider this morning. This is one of the things that I have learned many times in the past, and I feel like God is freshly wanting to say, hey, Eric, remember that lesson that I've taught you in the past? Let's bring that back up to the, the surface layer. Eric, you're in the Atlantic hunting grounds. I get that. I get that you have U-boats and you have a storm that's beating against you and you're moving awfully slow, uh, through a lot slower than you thought you were going to move. However... I've given you this time, this lockdown season, this quarantine season, so that you can go into your room and you can focus and so that I can unveil to you my thoughts, my plans. So the Apostle Paul is going to say something here. Now, most of us have seen the phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, but haven't really ever understood it. Pray without ceasing. Mental doggedness. Fix your gaze on something you know God wants to do and then go after it, and don't let go. It's like if you had a grappling hook, and you threw it up into the heavenly realms and grabbed one of the promises of God, 
It's the equivalent of pulling until you get it down. Don't let go. And so, but it's taking a long time. Keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. In scripture, we see keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. Remember the widow with the unjust judge? Keep tagging and pulling on his shirt sleeve. Keep pulling on his shirt sleeve. Don't let go. Mental doggedness. Pray without ceasing. I'm going to give some, uh, some synonyms or some similar phrases to this. Mental grit, mental focus, mental muscle, mental sharpness. So when we come to the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7, many of us are familiar with this line, but this is critical for such an hour as this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word for sound mind is sophronismos, a disciplined and controlled thought life. Isn't that an interesting statement? A disciplined thought life, a controlled thought life, where it doesn't wander, it doesn't go here and there, it doesn't, the bleeps, the dings, the buzzes don't detour it from its focus, okay? So the makeup of faith, what I'm talking about here with a sound mind is actually the essence of faith. You're fixed in your gaze. Remember Jacob in, on, in Peniel? Peniel is, is called the face of God. Remember, Jacob is going to run into a man, who we know is God, and he's going to wrestle with him through the night. This is a, a picture of what we are supposed to do. It's a picture of faith. That's why he's given the name Israel in it. But he grabs a hold of God and will not let go. Right there. That's how our minds are supposed to work. It's, it's a blend of the gaze of the soul. That's how A.W. Tozier describes faith. He says it's the gaze of the soul upon God. But there's another piece. It's the grit of the soul to not let go of what you're looking at. So you see God. You see that he is able to do it. Now hold on. And don't let go. So faith, knowing there is an answer, not letting go until you get it, fully grasping it, fully understanding it. So I have dilemmas in my life right now. I have U-boat challenges. How am I going to get from the British Isles to that port in Washington, D.C.? How in the world am I supposed to get there? Okay, now I'm not saying there's a port in Washington, D.C., but conceptually. How am I supposed to get across this Atlantic hunting ground? safely and strong. There are dilemmas that I have, just like you guys have dilemmas. I'm guessing if all of us sort of laid out our lives, we'd say, I don't know how to solve this Rubik's Cube. We have Rubik's Cubes. We have challenges. You know the only way to deal with a Rubik's Cube is to focus? Now, I'm not a, you know, just going to try and promote Rubik's Cubes. Uh, however, I remember when I was young, and if you just tinker with a Rubik's Cube for like two minutes, you're not going to solve it. But if you spend hours, as I did when I was young, solving the Rubik's Cube, and this was before I had like books on how to do it and things like that, and you learn. You're like, okay, when I do that, then this. And then you get like two sides, and then you get three sides. Like, how, how do you do all of it? I mean, it's just, it, but you have to focus. And the longer you focus, you will conquer it. It's a, it's a weird phenomenon, but most people give up. And as a result, they never conquer the Rubik's Cube. Well, you have situations in your life which are like that. And if you will persevere and stay focused, you actually will receive a solution. You will be able to break through that fog bank. So you need to know there is an answer to your dilemma. You see, it's called wisdom, is what it's called in Scripture. You have a dilemma, and you need God's mind on it. So how do you get it? You hold on to God, and you do not let go. You pursue him. Just like a Rubik's Cube, you will not let go. God, I know you have an answer for this. 
Not letting go until you get it, fully grasping it, fully understanding it. It's the idea of faith. So Churchill's tension. He needs to understand where things are at in the war so that he can tactically respond. So he needs to know, I mean, the, the World War II is so complex. It is so challenging to understand. As a student, if you try and understand World War II, the first question you, if you try and understand the global, it's almost impossible when you first start. It's like, wait, there's so many theaters in the war. You have the Western Front, you have the Eastern Front, you have the Mediterranean Theater, now you have the Pacific Theater. But there's so many different facets to each of the theaters. There's so many different places where the war is taking place. Old-fashioned battles, they had one little skirmish in Waterloo. It's like, okay, well, okay I can figure this one out. And then you can just study Waterloo. That's a lot easier than World War II. This is massive. Well, guess who has to understand all of it? He has to have strategy to say, here's where the enemy's going, or at least I'm, I'm anticipating this is where he's going. Here's where all of our resources are. Here's where all of our men are. Here's our potentials. Here's our weaknesses. They have to analyze it from every side. And then, could you imagine giving a credible opinion of what's gonna, how we should handle it and knowing that your decision, if wrong, could lead to tens of millions of deaths? of your own people, it could lead to the loss of a nation, it could lead to the loss of liberty for the entire world, and evil could reign. Could you imagine the pressure you could have in something like this? He needs to speak intelligibly to the US leadership so that a coordinated effort might be achieved. But with so much happening, it's difficult to see straight, let alone think straight. Yep, yep, I, I've been there. I, I've been there recently, <laughs> it hasn't even been that far away where you have so much happening that it's hard to even see straight, let alone think straight. It's hard to even see all the different blocks of what you need to decide on, let alone have decisions for the blocks. I always work in blocks, so sorry guys. I've been on Zoom enough to think in blocks now. The hound of heaven. This is how we function. Jim Elliott used to use the term hound of heaven talking about Jesus Christ. So here's my, my thought. We need to be like Jesus Christ in being a hound. So a hound, a good old coon hound, is going to catch the scent of that coon, and then he's going to follow that scent until he gets it treed. And once he gets it treed, he gives off his treed uh, howl. Okay, I've actually never had a coon hound, so I'm, I'm not, but I have read where the red fern grows, okay, so I'm dangerous. Uh, so the hound of heaven, catching the scent of clarity. Have you ever had it where it's like, wait a minute, I'm seeing something here. I, it, it, what it is, it's a scent the Spirit of God gives you. It says, follow it, follow it. Catching the scent of clarity and then following it until the solution is treed. I got it. I got it. And I don't know what it sounds like. That, whatever the, the treed uh, howl is. December 1941. The eight days voyage with its enforced reduction of current business with no cabinet meetings to attend or people to receive. Boy, this sounds like our quarantine. Enabled me to pass in review the whole war as I saw and felt it in the light of its sudden vast expansion. I recalled Napoleon's remark about the value of being able to focus objects in the mind for a long time without being tired. Now, I'm not very good with my French here, guys. I have no idea what I just said. Uh, it was probably uh, some other language that I just spoke in, but that's, I was just trying to read French, okay? I never took French, I took Spanish. So here's, oh great, now it's on the screen again. This is a picture of Napoleon, and this is his famous phrase. 
And I've been pondering this. I'm not a fan of Napoleon, just, just so you guys know. I'm not trying to promote Napoleonic thinking as much as biblical thinking. But he's going to use this phrase. I'm just going to say that the phrase is on the screen, okay? I just said it, or at least I tried to say it. Now I'm going to give you the translation of it, which means focus on objects for a long time without tiring. Isn't that an interesting? This is like a life principle for Napoleon. What a strange life principle that is. In other words, you have a problem that seems insurmountable. So what you do is you focus. You focus on it until you solve the puzzle. Isn't that interesting? So it's like here we even have Napoleon, one of the greatest conquerors of all time, saying something very similar to these other things that we're talking about. Here's a, a quote from Albert Einstein. And I would say most people, if you're going to say, who had the highest IQ of all time? Who was the smartest man that ever lived? Whether or not it was Einstein, he at least gets placed in that. Sort of like, who is the most wicked woman of all time? You usually think of like Jezebel, right? And so there's these placeholders for these positions, and Einstein is the classic illustration of the smart guy. Listen to what he said. It's not that I'm so smart. We're like, yeah, right. It's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems longer. Isn't that intriguing? I mean, I don't know how you respond to that, but that's intriguing to me because what it is is it's mental doggedness. It's focus. It's not IQ. It's the willingness to stick it out and to hold on without getting distracted or getting discouraged. We have challenges. We have to somehow make it across this Atlantic. We have weights on our shoulders. We have U-boats hounding us. We have uh, storms outside beating against our ship. And we have an opportunity for the Spirit of God to lead us in our life. But for the Spirit of God to lead, you have to be quiet you have to be still, you have to be focused, you have to be sharp. You've been given a sound mind. You've been given what you need for a disciplined mind to stay focused. We live in a world of beeps, buzzes, dings, uh, and if there's any other sounds that can go with that. It's probably out there and we're used to it. We're familiar with these things and we're used to being distracted, which makes it that much more difficult to stay focused. And so here we are, Churchill is living in a day without internet, without Facebook, without uh, Instagram, without beeps, blusses, and blusses. I'm having a tough time with my beeps, buzzes, and dings. And yet, he still is having a tough time focusing. And so we need to remember, this is the hour in which we live. We are not victims. Let's rise up with the same spirit that has been given to all of the Christians of ages past to discipline our mind and to focus. Our own personal journey across the Atlantic hunting grounds. And so that's where we're at, guys. We're all in our own unique way crossing the Atlantic hunting grounds. And there's different gradients, like Hitler's situation is a lot more grave than ours. I mean, we could all look at our situation and go, oh boy, mine's, but mine's worse. Well, I don't know, Hitler had a, did I say Hitler again? Churchill. Boy, the two are not the same. I just want all of those in the audience to note that. The two are very different. Uh, one's like good, one's evil. Uh, so, but what we all share in is a similar dynamic where we have difficulties, we have seeming impossibilities, we have dangers and threats, and yet we have a calling. How are we supposed to fulfill the calling at the same time not be distracted by all the threats or all the beeps, buzzes, and dings? Sure, there may be U-boats out there seeking your destruction. Sure, there may be storms beating against the ship. This is precisely when God wants you to sit down in his presence and listen. 
Focus your mind on the truth of God's word. Don't focus on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, what the pundits have to say. Don't read all the transcripts of every little conversation, every argument. What does God have to say in an hour like this? When you're trying to figure out the quarantine and how this is going to affect the world, don't ask the world. They have no clue. Ask God. That's the secret. When you are crossing the Atlantic hunting grounds, get still before God who does know the beginning from the end. He knows where this is headed and he knows precisely how to get you right where he needs you and to prepare you for that day. And don't remove your gaze from him. Persevere until you gain that clear perspective, that clear direction, that clear answer that God has promised to supply in and amidst the battle. So when you say, so has he promised to supply me that clear perspective? He has. That's what James, it's what's so powerful about James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you lacks that clear perspective, wisdom. If any of you lacks the mind of God on the matter, the perspective of God on the matter, how you ought to live in this situation. If any of you lacks that, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. So when you ask for wisdom, key life principle for Eric Ludi, and you don't get it in the next second, what should you do in the second after that? Hold on. What if it takes a minute? Hold on. What if you still don't have it after an hour? Hold on. What if you don't have it after three days? Hold on. What if you don't have, to have it after two years? Hold on. You don't let go because he has promised to supply it. And one thing I can testify in my years as a Christian is God has always given me wisdom. He keeps his word. It doesn't always come as quickly as I would want it, but I always get it if I stay focused. If I grip God and I do not let go and I say, God, I know you will supply this. He has always supplied it. Listen to the second half of this and you'll appreciate it in the Atlantic Hunting Grounds illustration. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. See, we're in the middle of a ship crossing the Atlantic. Isn't that a great illustration? And finally, uh, to finish up our message today, the Apostle Paul is going to say in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and you guys all know the scripture, right? This is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, now we all know it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. However, I'm going to lift out three of them that have a direct influence upon what we are talking about in our thought life. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. In other words, it's that long suffering to be still. It's hard to be still when U-boats are hunting you. It's hard to be still when you're getting a little seasick and you're getting beaten by the winds and the waves. It's hard to maintain a stillness, but you have patience. You have the ability to endure for a long season, not for just a short one, but for a long season. This fruit of the Spirit is patience. How about this one? Faithfulness. You are going to remain with that gaze fixed and not alter it. Faithfulness. It's a position of faith. It's a position of continuance. It's not a position of waffling. It's a position of concreteness. You know what you are believing and you're not going to budge from it. You know how you ought to live and you're going to continue to live that way. So the fruit of the Spirit is patience, faithfulness, self-control. You have what you need via the Holy Spirit to say no to the distractions. We do. We're not victims to the distractions. 
It's like the beeps. And I'm like, oh, I just have to answer the beep. You don't. You are not a slave to this world's systems and the world's distractions. You are not a slave to the U-boat threat. You are a slave of righteousness, which means in every circumstance, we have what we need to say no to the world and yes to God. It's an exciting thought, which means Rubik's Cube, no matter what Rubik's Cube it is that you're facing right now, you have the solution. What you need to do is focus, hold on with tenacity and mental doggedness until you get that answer. Intensified focus, intensified removal, intensified givenness, intensified doggedness. Intensified removal, the second one on the list. I have not watched the news or turned on, like even clicked on Fox News for three days now. I know, I sound like I'm bragging, don't I? Uh, of course, you can say, what were you doing before that? <laughs> Harper asked me the other day, she said, because I was saying to Leslie, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not looking at the news now. She goes, Daddy, were you addicted to the news? Yes, uh, I think I'm going to acknowledge I was getting addicted to the news. Now, what's funny is I, wouldn't even, I wasn't even watching the news before all this quarantine thing. Then I had to stay up with the coronavirus, had to know what the, you know, the trends were so I could lead our organization, right? And then I got caught up in some of the other nonsense in the news and got passionate about it and then had to know what was going to happen with those things. Beeps, dings, and buzzes were suddenly luring my attentions away. I was focused on U-boats instead of focused on Christ. And so, whatever is necessary for each one of us, let's be aggressive and intensified in doing what we know God is asking of us right now. Father, we ask for that. We ask for that grace to intensify focus, to intensify our drive and desire. Lord, for your glory, honor, and praise, we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.